Show me the crypto. <laughs> Show me the crypto. <laughs> Show me the crypto. In a world on the brink of disruption, two men will bring you clarity by interviewing some of the most intelligent and influential names in the blockchain world. Welcome to Show Me the Crypto with your hosts, Wade Patterson and Ulf Lonegren. Well, hi there and welcome to Show Me the Crypto. My name is Wade Patterson. And I'm Ulf Lonegren. We're a couple of friends from Canada who love learning about cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, and we're happy you're along for the ride. Whether you're a crypto virgin or you know your way around the block, we hope our interviews with some of the most intelligent and influential people in the blockchain space help deliver you with value. And on this episode, we're joined by Casey Lau. Casey is an international tech conference host, co-founder of Startups GBA, creator of the Deviants NFT project, host of the Hyper Room podcast, and curator of the NFT newsletter, Thunder Friends. And believe it or not, that doesn't even cover his entire resume. For example, during his spare time in 2015, Casey created his own comic book called Super Kaiju Hero Force. Through his work with Webcouver, Casey is on a mission to help connect like-minded Vancouverites as the city establishes itself as a Web3 hub. Casey, welcome to Show Me the Crypto. Hey guys, thanks for having me. It's very exciting to meet you finally after all our uh, tweets and DMs together. I'm loving what you're doing and I'm happy to be on the show. Yeah, this is an honor. Like you said, we've been following you on Twitter for quite some time. Let's start off with Super Kaiju Hero Force back in 2015. Like you created your own comic book. What's that all about? Oh, yeah, I've, I've been creating comics for a long time. So it's not uh, but I was I was actually the, the, it was actually earlier than that. So the idea was that um, the iPhone had come out. So actually it was during the 3G iPhone. And I was like, where are the comics on here? That's always been my mission. Where are the comics in technology and always looking for that kind of thing. And so I created this series that basically it's about three kids that go to Japan um, and they, you know, I don't know, get involved with the wrong people and become Kaiju. And of course they become superheroes and they become uh, media celebrities there. But the idea was actually was the format that was more important than the actual story, right? Um, reading, uh, comics on the iPhone, what was the best medium, right? I'm sure you guys know about webtoons today. It's a big, it's a big thing from Korea. Um, and the comics are now no longer read, read like a, like a paper comic, like, you know, left to right kind of thing. They're scrolled like, um, like you would scroll up and down an Instagram feed, right? So the panels are bigger. Um, and, and young, young kids today, that's how they consume comics today. So it's quite interesting. Um, but you know, I still made them like normal comics. So it still doesn't work at that, at that thing. So I think, and then I would think that's a good test. And it's a good question actually, because it's like, how do you look at, um, you know, classic things that happen today and how do you move them into the tech world and especially to web three? Yeah, and and you've clearly got this deep background in technology through through tech conferences, all sorts of things that we're going to ask you about in the coming questions. But where I'm what I'm curious about is what was your gateway drug into the cryptocurrency space specifically? Yeah. So um, yeah, you know when it, ICO started, I was involved there, um, and then in 2018. Uh, there was an actual NFT conference in Hong Kong put on by my friend Yatsu, uh, who is the chairman now, but he's the founder, CEO of Animoca, Animoca Brands, who, as you probably know, invest in just about every Web3 uh, project out there. Um, so he's been heavily into that. He's always been talking about it to me. And I, I was still like, 
don't really get it and still wondering how it works and things like that. And he, he was doing a lot of the blockchain gaming. But then when he brought the crypto kitties over, um, they started developing it out in Hong Kong. I got to see what was going on. You know, you see, and it's like, and a lot of the stuff I talk about in the Hyper Room, the podcast and, and all the videos that we do is that, you know, the gateway drug for other people is the same as for, for comic book collectors and card collectors. It's like, how do you get that kind of cartoon, you know, gaming, anime, video game thing to, you know, bring people into Web3. And so that's basically, I think the touch point was the Crypto Kitties. And we'll talk about it later, but, you know, I had Arthur, uh, one of the co-founders at an event last week here in Vancouver uh, and learned so much about how they actually did it and how they br brought it to life and what 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 it spawned out of it. So it's very exciting. So that's my entry into it was, yeah, I could say it was Crypto Kitties. And from what you know, what I've seen of everything you're involved in, it really seems like you're a connector and you're someone who really values community. Would you say those characterizations are correct first? And what, uh, you know, where did those traits come from? Yeah, that's absolutely true. And another that's another reason why I get Web3 and I'm very excited about it because the community uh, aspect of it's so important, building up a brand, building up a reputation, bringing people together. I think these are all like most important things. That's why I love what you guys are doing, right? It doesn't matter if you're like hardcore into crypto or you don't know, understand it at all. You guys cover a different aspect of it. And I think that's a very important part of it. And that's what I think. I also do it to kind of selfishly learn about it myself, right? So a lot of community stuff that I started with in startups and just playing tech startups is that I wanted to meet other startups. I wanted to meet investors. I wanted to meet uh, people to hire. So by putting on these kind of events, um, I would learn and meet the people as well. So I think that was a lot of the beginning, like even holding hosting clubhouse rooms, right? It was really about uh, getting in the conversation and then trying to see what you know, was missing out of it and then do your own thing in there. And then you bring people along with you into that, into that space. Right. I think that is, uh, but how does it start? I don't know. It's just, um, I need to like, uh, connect with people. Um, I like to host a party all the time, I guess. Um, you know, it's, it's good fun to bring people together. Um, and yeah. And then so like working with web summit and doing all the conference with them is like on a gigantic scale, bringing countries together, bringing, you know, um, government officials together. It's like really the next stage of it. Right. So, but I always have fun just, you know, getting a co-work space or a coffee shop and bringing 20 people together. They're all like-minded that, you know, just don't know how to connect with other people in real life. And this is just a, a great, I don't know. I'm just, uh, I like doing it basically. <laughs> Love it. And what you said earlier resonates because that's been our reason as well as we want to have conversations with people to, to learn too. Yeah. Like we, we don't consider ourselves to be experts by any means, but you talk to enough experts in the space and people who are really able to articulate properly how things work, then by osmosis, you're going to gain a little bit of it. Certainly, it, you mentioned back there, crypto kitties. And so we've been fortunate to have some awesome guests on the show. We had Mac Flavelle, who now is kind of involved with with stoner cats through Big Head Club, uh, Jeremy Jensen from Deadheads, Fuck Render. So there's been a lot of these interesting guests who have some connection or are from Vancouver, the lower mainland. What do you think it is about Vancouver that is kind of making it this emerging web three nft hub okay so yeah this is gonna this is my favorite thing to explain to people because there's so many aspects of it here in vancouver that people 
just don't know about. And I think, I don't know if that's a Canadian thing or Vancouver thing, or people are just too busy to talk about it, but there's just so many aspects of it that, you know, if, unless you're here and you're interviewing these kind of people or talking to them, you don't really see it. Okay. So let's start at the very beginning, as you know, maybe the last 30, 40 years, even Vancouver is a big, uh, Hollywood North, uh, city. So a lot of people, um, from LA, they come up here to make TV shows. I remember the X-Files is shot here. Um, and then all these movies. And then when I'm in the theater in say Hong Kong, I'm watching Deadpool. I'm like, isn't that the uh, aqueduct? And isn't that like a background Vancouver? It's like, how do they shoot that? It's like right in. And then there's all the car chases through the city. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. And then when you're here, you see all the white trucks, you see the giant cranes. This is literally a back lot. Have you guys ever been to like the Universal Studios movie tour where they take you around to see the Jaws uh, set, the Psycho House? Oh, yeah. That's what no, it looks it really like young, here. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's what it looks like here on a normal day, right? You walk around, there's just movie stars shooting stuff right in the right open. All the license plates, of course, of the cars are American cities, not Vancouver or not Canadian <laughs> license plates. But that's a big, big thing. Okay, so there's that. So how do we streamline the pipe? line for making tv shows let's just do all the special effects in, in vancouver as well so all the kind of um you know even small things like storms and you know rain or whatever they can add it in, in post right so that becomes a big hub then there's the animation side of it right how many of you guys out there listening to this know that into the spider-verse uh, was made in vancouver right so the production team for sony image works is here in vancouver and the next two films were made here as well there's a big government subsidy for animation companies so they're also here um, uh, making all kinds of shows. Rick and Morty is made here. One of my favorite shows. I went to the studio. I was like, what? This show is made here? I did not know that, right? Because usually being in Asia, you see a lot of stuff being made in Korea, Japan, um, China, places like that, right? But uh, now, because it's very cost uh, competitive here to be in, in British Columbia, a lot of the shows are made here. So now we have special effects. We have movie people. We have animation people. And then, of course, the new tech scene. So Dapper is here. Dapper Labs, to me, is like the Google of Web3, right? Um, they started what they were doing and people left and started their own companies like Mac, right? Big Head Club, all these companies you'll see are, are exploded out of um, out of uh, either either Dapper or CryptoKitties. Um, and then, but you know that, that I found out that people don't really connect here too. So a lot of people don't even know that they're in the same city together, right? So I think that's starting to change now because, you know, we're coming out of the pandemic. Also, don't forget there was a pandemic. So a lot of people didn't go out and meet each other, right? And nobody goes around telling, nobody except Ryan Reynolds goes around telling everybody that they're from Vancouver, right? <laughs> I've never met anybody in another place that said, I'm from Vancouver. People pleaser, you know, she is, I think, Taiwanese, but she spent a lot of time in Vancouver, um, but she doesn't go around and tell everybody she's from Vancouver, right? Um, a lot of the guys, I don't know if you talk to them, they all say they're from Vancouver. Like, I know fuck render will say it. Like, they'll, when, they, when they're pressed, they'll answer, but they're not going around telling everybody where they're from. And that's just a crypto thing as well, right? But um, so all these different aspects, I think, together have made the city what it is. And I would be, I would, and then there's a big VR, AR. That's the next thing coming in. You know, you know um, Weta just opened a huge office here. Uh, Weta, the company that makes special effects for Lord of the Rings, right? That's their credibility, but they do stuff for everybody. The metaverse is being made here in Vancouver, all under NDA. So you will never hear who's working on it and who's building on it. But if you're here, you, you'll, you'll meet them. You're like, oh, you're working for this company. What are you doing? I can't tell you, but you can pretty much guess they're not just doing special effects anymore. They're doing what is the next step of it? How are they building on what exists now and making it even bigger with the talent that's here? And that's another thing, the talent, right? Everyone's like coaching each other, right? If when it comes to town, everybody who, work, who went to uh, Vancouver Film School wants to work for them, right? That's like, they don't have to go to New Zealand. So there's a 
fight for it. And nobody wants to tell anybody what's going on either because they want to lose all this talent. And I met tons of animators and people from around the world that come to Vancouver to work because the, the work is here, right? Rather than maybe Australia or, you know, Europe, whatever. And you played a part recently in organizing this Webcouver event. Can you just tell us a little bit about sort of the role you played in in that and yeah. what was the event all about? Yeah. So basically, uh, you know, I started doing these meetups in Hong Kong or and everywhere in Tokyo and Singapore, just bringing people together that I wanted to meet. And uh, because I've heard all this thing about Web3 here in Vancouver, um, I just thought, let's put an event on together. I met some people in the space and they were like, yeah, I'll speak at it. I'll be part of it. Um, and then uh, I thought that we'd maybe get 50 people to show up for it as well. Um, and then, of course, we had uh, the space we got maybe sat 100 people um, and we had 200 people on the wait list to come in to join this, uh, this thing. So it was quite big. Um, and I was, I was very surprised. Um, but it seems like, of course, everybody wants to come out after the pandemic and see each other. Everyone's a cartoon character face PFP on Twitter. So nobody knows what anybody looks like. I'm, I'm bored. Becky is the best. She's got, um, this really hideous looking, um, uh, bored ape as her face. And she's every very pretty uh, lady <laughs> out here. Right. So you meet her for the first time and you're like, wow, that's so crazy to see you in real life. Um, so that's, I think it was a success just because of that. And so we've done two of them so far, but it's just great to meet all the projects. Cause they're, they're, I'm like, Oh wow, these people are building all kinds of stuff here that you never know. And this kind of event will bring them out to see what other people work on. Everyone's curious about that, right? You can only do so much on a Twitter space. And I think that this is needed in every city, right? I mean, you go to uh, New York, they have a bigger show, but that's an annual thing, right? Um, and then there's all these decentral shows as well that they're doing more and more around different cities. Um, but I feel like every ecosystem uh, city should have its own event, even if it's only 50 people showing up, right? It'll grow over time. That's what I've learned. When we started doing it in, in Asia, it was very small, but we just kept doing it. More and more people joined uh, using, you know, finding out about it from their friends and things like that. Everybody wants to connect. That's why, you know, the pandemic, I think, has been tough for a lot of people. But it's, all this stuff has happened because of it is pretty amazing, too, right? Mm -hmm. it, we had such a similar experience. So recently in Kelowna, the city Elf and I live in, they hosted Web3 Okanagan, which was the first as far as I think there was Bitcoin meetup groups in previous years, yeah. which I never uh unfortunately joined join those or or took part in that but this web3 okanagan event it was like who are all these people like coming out of the shadows or yeah. something like that to meet <laughs> yeah. and, and like you said a lot more than i think were originally anticipated it it filled out so what i'm curious about because i've heard you talk at one of your your keynotes i think i can't remember which event it was but you were telling the story about back in 2009 how you started these coffee shop meetups on a weekly basis talking about startups and startup life and technology and that kind of thing and that was something you would consistently do so so what does vancouver or any city really gain like why is it important to establish that community based on all your experience of over the years having those meetups well first and foremost of course just the connection point right so if you're into the into this and you want you don't have a network yourself this is the place to come and start building that network right meeting people kind of seeing like who else is building stuff um you know as a competitor or as somebody you may want to join i think a lot of the co-founders met at these kind of events right they meet up they talk about stuff you know, because, you know, I don't know how many friends you have that are like normies, right? When I I explain this stuff to my normal awesome. friends, they have no idea what is going on, right? That's the so, reason Ulf and I started the podcast. So we just yeah. have people to talk to crypto. About. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, right? So that's the thing. When we did startups, 
you know, a lot of people don't know anything about startups, right? They want to come out. They don't know how to raise money. They don't know how to make a pitch deck. They don't know how to do this. They don't do that. So it's a place that you can learn. We bring on a speaker, have somebody talk about it, share their experiences. Not a big deal. Back in, back in, you know, startup world, in the Bay Area, you know, paying it forward was just a natural thing. A lot of people in Asia are very surprised that people would give away secrets of how they raise money and, and be very open with their Rolodexes, right? So I always think that that is the, the basis of the community building. And I think that is what people come out for. They want to meet people. There are investors at the last Webcouver event who are like, you know, traditional investors. There are a, lot of, there are a few whales in there. There's um, project leaders in there. Um, and then there's just some people just want to learn. They don't know what's going on. They just want to come in here. Because, you know, when you hear all these GMs and WAGMEs and stuff like that, people who don't know what it is are kind of like, you know, a little shocked and maybe a little put off by it. But if they can kind of like talk about and joke about it over drinks, then I think it, it helps, right? Coffee or drinks. I, we didn't do a lot of drinking in, in Asia. We do a lot of coffee meetups instead, right? But I think it's just like, it's the energy, right? When you put 100 people in the room that are all like focused on something um, that they want to build, it's it's contagious, and right? And I don't think you can, you can kind of get that on Twitter spaces and Clubhouse and those kind of audio things and maybe even through this Zoom stuff. Um, but I still think you got to be in a room and you just feel the excitement and uh, the chatter and like, oh, like somebody will say something and it'll be like, wow, did you meet this guy? Did you meet this girl? Did you meet this person? I think that is a, a part of it and why it's why it works. And that's a major point I learned. And then the other thing was the consistency thing. Yeah, definitely. That's tough, right? If you can't commit an hour or two a week to do this kind of thing, um, it's it's tough, right? I mean, you, you guys see all the Twitter spaces. People are building communities like crazy. We're going to be on Twitter spaces every day at five o'clock. I'm like, wow, that is crazy. But you want to get the <laughs> message out. You got to do it. You never know who's going to stumble into it and do it. And that's why it's hard for people, right? A lot of people try to also do kind of startup events in Asia and things like that, but you don't have the dedication or the, the kind of drive to connect people. Then uh, it just, it doesn't work. Right. So it does take a, I guess it does take a certain, like you guys, you know, you're, we're, we're going to do this no matter what. Uh, every week we're going to interview people. Um, somebody drops out, we'll find somebody else. You know, we just keep going. We'll make the best of it, and people learn. And you find new people um, to bring into the space. And maybe somebody listens to this and goes, "Whoa, this is a great show," or "This is a great project. I want to be part of it. I want to learn more." I think it's all about just. Uh, it sounds like it could be a lot of noise, right? We're like, "Oh, everybody's doing a podcast. Everyone's talking all the time." But um, I just think that it's uh, you know people come into these spaces at different times and different places, right? So long as it's there. Um, it's good. Like I remember writing a blog article in 20, 2009 about how to do a pitch deck. Uh, you know, six, seven years later, I saw 17 year olds at a hackathon in Hong Kong reading that exact uh, post and learning <laughs> how to awesome. make a pitch deck. I know exactly. And I saw that. I was like, oh, you're reading this. <laughs> I wrote this like so long ago. I forgot. It probably not even, I haven't updated. It's probably not even right anymore. But um, having that blog post out there, I mean, who knows how many other people read it, right? So I feel like, yeah, it's noise and there's a lot of text and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, still someone will find value out of it. Um, and it's, as long as you can direct it in the right direction, I think um, it'll be beneficial for everyone. And while we're on the subject of, you know, events and uh, community and, and just getting people together, you, you know, you're a guy who's uh, a nomad, right? You're, you're all over the world and you've hosted and, and helped organize events in many different locations. Um, some coming up, I believe, are Collision. There's Rise. Can you tell us a little bit about some of these other conferences that are going on in your world? 
In my world, yeah. So we at Web Summit, we I guess we'd host some of the largest tech conferences in the, in the world, right? So yeah, Collision's coming up in June. It is the North American version of the of the conferences. We hold one in Europe. We hold one in Asia. Um, and uh, basically, they're very similar in format, but we obviously focus geographically on where they are. Right. So for North America, you'll see maybe um, more um, American companies and Canadian companies. And then at Rise in Asia, we'll focus more on, you know, ones in Asia from China and Japan, whatever is doing really big there, but, you know, things like that. Um, and I learned a lot from working with um, the founder, Patty Cosgrave of the company um, in that it's all about connections. Right. It's like putting all the elements in a circle with the attendee in the middle. How can when they leave? They've met five, 10, 20 amazing people and they tell their friends when they go home and they bring more people next year, right? To the, if it's an annual, if it's in their country or coming to another one, right? I think that kind of um, uh, synchronicity of how this is done uh, and they call it engineered synchronicity, right? So there's actually, we, you know, when you sign in for a ticket, you know, you talk about what you are interested in and we're able to like use data science to kind of like push you into the directions where the parties and the networking, the talks are that would be most beneficial to you because it is like um, 20 conferences in one. You go to there, there's a crypto stage, there's a FinTech stage, there's a SaaS stage, there's all these things going on. You walk in, it's like a Disneyland for tech. You're like, oh, where do I go? What do I see first? There's not really, there's a map, but you're like, well, this sounds interesting. This Gary Vee's on stage right now. I'll go over there. But um, uh, and then you want to just make sure you know where you're going and be in your tribe and find the people that can benefit you and help you the most. And so that's what it is. More than just like, hey, there's some people on stage talking, and then there's some parties afterwards. Maybe you can go to and do your own thing. It's kind of a lot more um, organized than that. And that's why I learned a lot from how they, um, you know, the the, the science behind connecting people, which is very very exciting. You attended to my understanding, the NFT conference in LA earlier this year. What were your thoughts of that? Of, you know, the, the concept of an NFT conference is because you mentioned your experience goes way back to 2018. And when these were very early projects, probably even earlier than that. Uh, but 2021 was really kind of the launch off for NFTs. And then we started seeing like NFT NYC and all these different events. So what was your general feeling attending that kind of event? Was it overall a positive experience? Uh, you know, it's hard for me to attend a conference without being super uh, <laughs> critical of it, right? Where is the coffee station? That's my first question. <laughs> I would have done not... this. It should be right yeah. there. Yeah. Where is the, how come no one's checking the tickets walking in? You know, yeah. And the stage is too low. The lights are too bright. There's too many chairs. So it's very hard for me to go into these shows and, and uh, not be critical. But I went to Miami um, for some shows as well. And then I went to LA to see the shows because, you know, I haven't been to the New York one yet because they keep picking the dates, the same dates that we have our shows, but um, it's just interesting to see, like, again, you know, I, I, I can't be too critical about it. It's the early stages. We're in the modem days of NFTs. Right. So it's like, uh, as long as there's something there, it's very exciting. Um, they had some great speakers, you know, the hyper room, we covered talking a little bit about this, um, you know, cause we talk about pop culture and the intersection of web three and um, seeing all the DC comics and the Batman stuff at NFT LA was uh, quite incredible to me because uh you know, usually comic book markets, not that fast into these kind of tech things. Right. Um, but now DC just jumped in super fast with, um, the Batman stuff, um, you know, writing on the success of the new film. 
Um, so to me, that was exciting. And of course, it's LA, right? So you've got all the Hollywood people who are getting involved in it. And then having Charlie Sheen on stage uh, was great. But I still think it was really early because some of the panels were full of the superstars of NFTs, like the, the, the just the cream, the cream that when you go on Twitter, like, holy, these rooms are packed. But the stages were not that, <laughs> the audience was not that full in a lot of those talks, which I was, um, you know, it's unfortunate because uh, there's, this is the first time you can see a lot of them in real life, right? That are running a lot of these projects. Um, but so, yeah, but it's great. And then of course, a lot of people at these kind of conferences don't need a ticket. They just come for the parties, right? There's a lot of parties going on. Um, you know, you can see Steve Aoki, um, Azuki had crazy lines for their party, but like, you didn't need to go to the conference to attend that. You just need to be a holder, right? To get inside of that. But it's just interesting to see like in LA, um, the hustle is so strong there, right? The people that are in NFTs or just in the business have like 20 projects going on at the same time, you know, cause you know, things go up and down depending on the market, but they're on there. All the, it attracts all the creatives around the world, right? I met people from all over the world that moved to LA to be part of Hollywood the music scene, the fashion scene, whatever like that. And now the NFT scene is, is getting bigger and bigger there. So um, that part was great. I mean, it, it's great to see. I mean, I think if you guys can get out to these places as well, just to see uh, what's going on, it's, it's always a good time. Um, but I still think, again, I still think it's very early. These are just very early conferences. Um, and, uh, just, but just being in the conversation, seeing what people are doing and what they're talking about, I think, uh, is good. And see who's attending and see who's spending money too. That's the other thing, right? Some of these multi-million dollar, um, NFT, uh, projects, it's like how much they spend on booth designs and parties and things like that is also, it's also something I look at too, right? I'm looking at all, every angle so then more than, than a normal person might, um, look at it. So maybe I'm not the best, uh, reviewer of, uh, going to other people's <laughs> shows. Or maybe you're the best reviewer for those reasons. <laughs> Ulf, do you realize our audience has been either watching or listening to this episode for 20 minutes? 20 minutes? No, they should probably subscribe. Yeah, they should subscribe. And if you're watching on YouTube, make sure you comment and turn on notifications. And if you're listening to this podcast, especially if you're on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and a review. We're also on Twitter. Instagram, and even TikTok. So go check out the episode description. You can find all that information below. And we have an update on the NFT, don't we? That's right. We didn't previously mention this, but this NFT for OG supporter is a one of one. There will only be one of this kind ever minted. And we have a few surprises for the person who purchases it. The link is in the episode description. And back to the episode. So you mentioned there the the Hyper Room podcast, and I'm I'm really interested to jump more into that. And you kind of talked about the intersection and the niche you're focused on, but I've also heard you describe it as the audio version of the NFT newsletter Thunder Friends. So can you kind of dive a little deeper into both of those projects and what you're trying to accomplish through them? Yeah, it's a good time to do this podcast because we just did the changeover just now. So um, it's good to explain to people. So uh, the Hyper Room, you know, started off during the pandemic, interviewing a lot of the uh, uh, creators in the pop culture space. So I'd interview people who are um, in comics, in toys, in animation, in games, uh, because everyone's at home doing nothing, right? So I'm like, well, this is a good time to get them on a podcast because they're not doing anything, right? So learning about that was was fantastic. I had some of the big the big uh, name brands out there uh, talking. I was able to get. I met Andy Park, who is one of the uh, senior designers at Marvel. 
Studios. He designed all the Black Widow costumes, Shang-Chi. He's done WandaVision. He's done all this stuff. And I met him in Clubhouse. He just came into a Clubhouse randomly. I'm like, holy, Sandy Park. Because I've known him from his comic book career. He walked into this and then we became friends. And I'm like, let's talk about you know the design of WandaVision. Let's talk about Shang-Chi and all this kind of stuff. And it's fascinating to, to learn this kind of stuff. Um, and then I started, and then because it was mostly about the creator side of it, I didn't want to like confuse the issue. So I started another newsletter that was mostly about um, NFTs and pop culture together. Um, and I thought, you know what, this is the same audience. Let's just smash it together. Um, and the hyper room is the podcast side of it. So everything's now under the hyper room. So if you want to subscribe to it, it's at hyperroom.com. And then it's on Twitter, it's on Instagram, it's on all these places. And we're basically going to ramp up more um, episodes now talking about uh, getting you know people who are into pop culture into web three and that's the focus of it where we'll talk about the new projects like the batman project from dc um and, and all these new things like uh, you know deadheads is doing some interesting stuff the stoner cats you know these are things that are like cartoons these are like normal things that people know but they didn't know that it starts in crypto right this is the fine exciting part and how people can get involved with it um as we go forward as it becomes more and more mainstream do you find that those who are embedded in the comics and or the collectibles crowd are quicker to grasp the understanding and value behind NFTs than, say, your your average person on the street? Great question. We answered that question just the other day on the first episode. So it's it's interesting, right? So definitely there's there's readers of comics who just read comics for for the enjoyment of it and then there's people who buy them to to resell them to collect them and flip them sounds familiar right and so that's a that's where i feel like it's very easy to get more people into it but of course it's still that hump of like i could pay $10,000 for a jpeg um i don't get that but i'll pay $10,000 for the first appearance of Venom in a plastic case where I can't even read the comic, right? So I don't know if you know what CGC is, but they grade comics, they put a number on it. So there's a third party um, giving you a grade so that, uh, you know, if you sell on eBay, you, you can both agree that it's a, you know, mint condition comic. But uh, so, but I still think that's easier to get people involved in, right? Once they can understand that part of it, then I think the jump is much easier. You know, Pokemon cards, it's a card, man. It's a trading card. Why is it worth $20,000? It is because it is, right? That's what it is. But I think that the utility of that or the future of that, like how, how far can it go, right? It's, 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 I mean, sure, I love comics. I want to trade and sell the first appearance of Wolverine, the first appearance of Venom. You know, the, the, there's a Moon Knight show out. I don't know who Moon Knight is, but he's a very, he's a character that was created in the 70s. So the speculation on his first appearance comic, I remember seeing in 2019, it was $12,000. And I was like, this is crazy because before they announced the show, it was maybe $500. It was like nothing. Now the show, just before the show comes out, it's $75,000, $100,000 for a mint condition wow. copy of the first appearance of Moon Knight because everybody knows what it is and there's a speculation around that, right? And that's what comics have been kind of known for as well. There's an enjoyment side who are maybe, um, they don't care, they'll just buy it and then just put it in a box or throw it away. And there's people that are buy it, like first appearances, key issues are the, are the big thing. It sounds very familiar, right? So that's why I feel like this stuff is easy to come across um, to, to NFTs and Web3. And there's a lot of animation, drawing, art, things like that. So that, that's why I see that to be um, a, an easier connection point. And so that's at the Hyper Room, what we want to do is kind of show people what those projects are, right? Maybe maybe um, some of the more DeFi ones, like um, you know the DeFi projects, a little bit more too in-depth for people. But if there's like a like Stoner Cats, I think is a great example of something that we'd want to talk about. Um, you know, how they're um, funding an animated program by people you trust and you love on other shows like Family Guy, The Semi Show, whatever. 
Um, it's, it's very exciting, but maybe they don't know about it, right? It's because it's marketed to a very, very small niche audience. How do I get in Stoner Cat? Oh, that's quite expensive now to buy Stoner Cat. How can I, what are other ways I can get involved in this kind of thing, right? So that's, that's what I think is very exciting. And I, that's why I think we're at a very early stage of this, right? One of the questions we asked recently on our show um, with another guest was that NFTs, as they enter these other, um, you know, traditional media channels, they're not always received well. And so, you know, just a follow up to what we're just talking about, how perhaps for comic book collectors uh, and those who are already sort of familiar with that speculation game, they can maybe grasp the concept and look at it and say, hey, this sounds great. Like, I want to get into NFTs. Um, But maybe on the gaming side, as an example, we've seen a lot of gamers be resistant and reluctant to adopting NFTs. They don't want NFTs in their games. And that could be for reasons related to, you know, the costs associated with them and things like that. But do you think that um, just as much as NFTs can be, uh, you know, exciting for some people, it's also almost like, um, you know, it's very hot or cold, right? It can also be a big turnoff for other people. And maybe that's just a matter of not wrapping their heads around the whole concept. Um, but what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's definitely what I think it is. It's an education level. I think that's the biggest problem. Why do I need, oh, you know, I was, um, you know, I was around in web one. I had to explain to people why they would want to buy something on the internet. This is, this is, I had these conversations. How, why would I buy something on the internet when I can just go to the store to buy it? Why would I give the credit card online? That sounds like a bad, I'm going to get scammed. I'm going to get robbed. If I put my credit card online, I'm going to lose all my money. This was a, I had, I had massive debates on this with people, um, which is crazy. 20 years ago, right? When it's, when an Amazon started and all this stuff started um, with the same people who today are saying, I don't believe in crypto. I don't believe in Web3. I'm like, wow, that's weird. We had this conversation 20 years ago and you're still not convinced the technology is is what we're where we're going, right? And of course, you know, the media loves to blow up the rug pulls, you know, the the missing line of code that uh, lost thirty million dollars, you know, the gas war fees like we saw last night. Um, all this kind of stuff is is happening. Um, so all the Ponzi scheme thing and all the environment thing is great. Everybody in creative space asked me that first, like, what's the environment impact? We don't want to be, we don't want our fans to attack us because of that. So as we know, right, we know the answers to these questions. These need to be addressed and, and, uh, um, educated to people. So they understand it. Right. Um, I still think that the Kickstarter model moving to web three is, you know, going to be the best. How do we get the money into the hands of the creators? How do we get the money into them that they can make a great living? You know, right now, my my mission with uh, Hyper Room and some of the other things I'm working on is like the, the DC and Marvel, the, the two biggest comic companies that make billions of dollars in uh, movies. The creators who created the characters don't make billions of dollars. They don't make anything. They get paid a page rate and that's it. Right. And it's very low. It's very low even today by today's standards. And they're the ones when every time you see a new Marvel show, there's people behind it that are not part of the company. They're not the founders. Um, of the, uh, you know, they're noted, they're noted as creators, but they're not actually get any massive residuals like, you know, as Disney would. Right. Mm. So how do we get that? I think people will really rally around the support for that. Once they find out that this is, you know, a, a main point that they can make a good living working, doing what they love, doing, creating what they do the best, but making sure they get financially rewarded for it 
rather than taking taking advantage of it by big corporations. In terms of your own resume, we've touched on some of the things, but there's this whole other side of creating your own NFT project called yeah. the Deviants. What yeah. was that all about and what inspired you to do it? Oh, I think the best way to learn about this is just to do it, right? So just jump in and, and create it. And uh, it is a showcase piece for a bigger thing that we're working on right now. Um, but, you know, even listening to Jeremy from Deadheads and, and, and uh, Bored Apes and how they're giving away the IP rights to the holders is mind bending for creative people, for people like Disney and Marvel. Can you imagine that Spider-Man was still owned by Steve Ditko and Stan Lee uh, and it was fractionalized amongst all its fans? I use the Ninja Turtles as a number one prime example. You know, it came out in 1984. I bought one for $1.50. It's now worth $250,000 if you still held on to it. It's mint condition, um, obviously because of the meteoric rise in the cartoons and the franchise. But what if it was an NFT instead? You know, and in 20, 30 years, you are still writing it, still holding it and watching it as a stock and create it in a creative uh, concept IP. This is what I'm I'm very excited about. Um, and I feel like... Um, I've been waiting a while for this kind of technology to catch up with these kind of ideas um, and uh, and to be able to benefit creators going forward. So that's what the Deviance Project is about. I, I can talk about more about that, but that would take another hour or so just about that. But I just want to say that I'm getting involved with it as well and building a brand um, with an entertainment product property called the Deviance. Um, and I'm also inviting the community to be part of it. So if I you can say like the Deviants are like the X-Men. Um, I created the five, the five main original members and the community will create the rest of them in the world that, you know, around the benchmarks that I'm doing. And they will own a piece of that. They will have action figures made out of it, lot, real ones, physical ones and digital ones, comic books, merchandise, the whole thing that you'd see for any other project today. But the community will be behind it and will be able to also be, participate financially in it. I think that is the craziest story. If I told anybody in license, it destroys a, a, so many businesses, um, so many industries rather. Um, to that work today. Um, if you can do something like that, um, I don't know if it's going to work or not, but I'm definitely going to try to see what it is and try and help other creators out there to do the same thing that may or not may not be so tech savvy in Web3. Well, we got a little bit of time here. We Maybe we're, we won't spend the next hour talking about the Deviants, but could you tell us a little bit more about sort of where that project's at currently? Um, you know, like can we go uh, mint some deviants today? Where are you in that whole IP process? Oh no, process we're still, still very, it's still more? yeah, it's still very early stage. That's why early I'm making, stage. Um, let's let's say let's say that for when we are about to launch, it will come. We'll get I'll you come back, back on the more future. about it. Yeah, but I just wanted to yeah, I wanted to say that that was the reasoning for doing it more than anything else. It's like right. kind of showing how we can bring a lot of the um, you know non Web three people into the space, how we can showcase it to other creators, how we can maximize potential from it. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be a board ape hit. It can be still a, a medium sized small hit that is still financially viable for creators who who need help in, in promoting what they're doing and doing what they love and getting paid for it. You know, because doing a Kickstarter is a lot of work, like a lot, a lot mm -hmm. of work, right? Um, and we want to be able to help people to, you know, push out a Web3 project that's similar um, and at a scale like you would never think of before because of, you know, the the, the opportunities we have here. I think it's interesting too, like something like the the concepts that you just mentioned for, you have for the deviants. You know, it's even though not every NFT project is going to be a big success. Sometimes it's the fact that there are creators spinning up these projects that have very unique utility and aspects to them. That's just going to further the whole ecosystem the whole nft space and so 
you know, it's these constant little steps, right? And everyone matters because at some point that's what's going to really change the world in many aspects. I find that really interesting, right? It's all, it's all positive stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, in terms of, so we've talked about a lot of the the positives of NFTs. And and I think you're right. I mean, there's so many, I wasn't involved in the web one space in the early days, but like, man, like the people who were all say that this has similar themes of, of back then, just like you articulated. But in terms of, I guess, a word of warning or anything along those lines, because it is still a big speculation game. I mean, do you have any thoughts on the overall NFT ecosystem and you know, some of these projects that have seemingly gone up and up and up, is there a point where this could be bubble territory or is it a matter of those are just the blue chip projects that are going to do really well and everything else will just kind of see how it goes? What are your thoughts on on that? Oh, yeah, I, exactly what you just said, right? When we started Amazon, uh, have you ever heard of a company called Pets.com? Yeah. Like they bought Super Bowl ads. They did crazy stuff and they just burned out all their money and disappeared, right? Um, so there's going to be a lot of those. Like I think Gary Vee has already said that, right? 99% of the project's going to fail. 1% are going to continue on. The, there's a lot of the 1% still pretty big, um, but I still think it's all about roadmap. It's not about cash grabs, you know, but it's a different world, right? I mean, Jeff Bezos would go on stage and you know, he was the CEO. Nowadays, it's a monkey running another monkey company. We don't know, you know, who that guy is or girl is. You know, the confidence is going to be behind the community and what they're building and the roadmap. So there's a lot of this is a wholly, totally different territory, right? I couldn't even tell you like what's going to happen, you know, in next month, you know, let alone uh, 10 years from now, right? In, in terms of this, but I definitely think definitely the blue chips are the ones that are the ones to watch for sure. Um, but then there's always these small ones that pop out of nowhere. Like Azuki, I thought was a, one of those underdogs that just shot out of nowhere and became super popular. Um, and grab the imagination of the people who are buying into it, right? Um, so I think that's going to be what's going to happen. But again, it's the utility of all the NFTs to get the rest of the world involved, right? Um, if it's just like a stock that they can flip, um, it's not going to be very exciting for a lot of people. It's going to be about how can you know our moms, our dads get involved in this kind of thing? You know, our friends who are like, I don't know what a crypto wallet is. How do they get involved? These are the things I think are the most important thing to go forward. It's the same thing with, uh, you know, ordering stuff online. Once they get past that thing, that barrier in their mind, you know, people order things on their phone, on public Wi-Fis. They don't even think about it anymore, right? So so that's what I'm thinking. We're going to get to that point. We'll get to that inflection point. I mean, it took maybe 10 years for, for that to happen the first time around, but uh, it'll it'll get to that point. Casey, this has been an awesome conversation and we're nearing the end. We ask every guest, by the way, the same three questions at the end of every interview. So we're going to get to those in a second. But last question I want to ask is related to what you were just talking about there and and that onboarding of new people. So if there's somebody listening to this episode who, you know, they've heard of Web3, they've heard of NFTs, they've heard of crypto, but they haven't really dabbled. It's just been one of those things that they're like, I don't get it. Maybe that's been the response. I don't understand how this works. What's your message to those people or maybe even businesses of why they should dive a little bit deeper? I think host a conference, host a show, host a meetup, get people into your space and start listening. Everybody's in different verticals. So not everything's going to work for everyone, right? You don't need to learn. If you're not in the gaming business, you need to look at Axie Infinity or anything like that, right? You need to look at something closer to home. And I think a lot of people do want to learn about what you're doing in that specific space. So I'm really hoping with something like Webcouver starts to splinter off into different things. Tonight, I'm going to NFTBC, which is all about the artists that are working in British Columbia in an NFT space. 
right? So fuck render will be there. A lot of the other artists that are super popular online. This is a whole space I don't know anything about, right? I'm looking at cartoon characters. These people are making like art. I mean, you guys are you, you interviewed fuck render, so you know, and then your audience will know what he does. But there's a few. Uh, there's a big market there. You know, there's a huge market in just the art NFTs. So you have to just keep your eyes open, just like anything else. Get involved. Be, be 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 willing to look like you're a dummy there and just listen to things. Someone says, wag me to you. You're like, okay, let's <laughs> wag me together. <laughs> We're all going to make it. I love it. Well, as I said, yeah. Casey, this has been an awesome conversation. We like to end every episode of Show Me the Crypto with the same three questions we ask every guest. It's a segment we call You Had Me at Crypto and Ulf is going to ask you those questions. All right, Casey, you ready? Yeah. Okay. The first question, who is your favorite person to follow in the crypto space? Oh, okay. Well, uh, on Twitter, I obviously, I think everybody's going to say Naval, he's like the super famous one. So that's like it. So I thought I'd choose a couple of other ones, maybe that maybe people not following. So Chris Dixon. Um, so maybe I'll follow like the old guys, right? The guys who are moving in as well, because I learn a lot from Chris Dixon and Packy McCormick, you know, from what they're tweeting about in their newsletters uh, of how they're, what they're thinking of their conversations they are having from a VC level, from Silicon Valley level. That's where I see a lot of it. Cause I, I appreciate the DGENs. I appreciate all this stuff that's going on now, but I'm still looking at it from maybe an old, older person's ex- uh, perspective and just see like how these people are integrating into it. Chris Dixon going to Miami, you know, seeing what's going on there, you know, raising up that whole city up from that perspective um, and just being a, a guiding light. And of course, from people who don't know anything, I always point to Gary Vee. I don't know. I know people may or may not like him a lot, but he has the most introductory information on boarding people of how people might not get it. And he does a lot of very early stage. He's on TV, rolling his eyes, all these questions. I can just see it. But he's definitely um, another person that I, I like to, to, to point people to. Awesome. All right. The second question here. This is uh, the infamous price prediction question. <laughs> 10 years from now, what will the price of Bitcoin be? Well, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say that I think anything, but I, you know, I do a lot of reading on it. So I think the number, the number that everybody thinks is going to be like a million dollars. Right. So that's the number we're going to, that's the very positive thing about it. I, I mean, I can't, I, I don't want to say anything else, but I think that sounds like a good number. Yeah. I like, I like the sound of that. A million. <laughs> sounds good to me. <laughs> all right. Third question. Uh, what is the most underrated coin or project in all of crypto? Okay. Yeah. So this is a great question, I think. Um, and people will just point to a project that's out there now that maybe not doing so well, has a good team, whatever like that. But I think the whole market is very undervalued. I think the blue chips are undervalued. Mm. I think that uh, it sounds crazy, right? Uh, you know, what is it? $300,000 for Bored Ape uh, in, in fiat. Um, it's, a, it's a JPEG of a monkey. I can also just down right click and save it. Um, I think that I think all those, what they, because looking at the other side stuff, it's like they, they move so fast on that after they raise their money. They, they've obviously been planning this for a while. Um, sure, there's hiccups, you know, you know, servers crashed in the old days all the time, right? Twitter was always failing all the time. Didn't really, uh, now Elon Musk is going to buy. He's like, whatever. That was just the growing <laughs> pains of it. So I, that's, I mean, that's a very generic answer, but I think that's very much because I don't want to, I'm not, this is not an investment advice uh, podcast, right? Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. but I definitely think that, you know, it's only started 10,000 pieces of, of a project. That's nothing, right? You know, the Batman one, they're trying to do 200,000 that they're not going to do it. They're not going to make it on that, but it's going to be like, that's the number we're, we're looking at to bring normal people. So mm-hmm. that's why I say the blue chips are always going to be good. And they're, if they keep developing and keep building what they're doing, you know, they've got a head start on everybody else, like even the deviants, right? We're, we're, we're already 
12, 18 months behind that, 24 months behind them, that's like 10 years in, in web three space. Right. Yeah. So uh, anybody else getting into this, that's why I still, I still have, uh, you know, um, I can see that they're, they got the money, they got the runway, they got the brand. It'll just keep going up. It's like Amazon, right? It's like, it'll be like Amazon. Will it be popular in 10 years still? That depends. Right. Um, the Ninja Turtles have to reinvent themselves every two years for a new audience to keep, be relevant. Right. You probably remember things that you guys grew up with that are not popular anymore because they never reinvented themselves. So, um, well, that, you know, that's a brand branding thing that we can look back at, you know, in the history books. But uh, I still think that all the the, the the stuff that you talk about today, we're still going to be talking about it in, next year. You're right. That is a different answer than we typically get, but that is one of my favorite answers that everything, because it's, it's a different way of looking at it, but I tend to agree with you. We're super, we're super niche still, right? This is a super, super niche. It sounds like it's super exciting because of the number of volume, trading volume, and the people are talking about it. But like we have, like, like you guys start a podcast to talk about that means there's not, that means the people around you are not talking about it. Once they get to that level, then we'll, we can say everybody knows what it is, right? 100%. Casey, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you for joining Alf and I on this episode of Show Me the Crypto. Thank you, guys. I really had a good time. Um, it's exciting to be a guest, to be part of the podcast. Thank you for listening to Show Me the Crypto. Please make sure to subscribe as well as rate and review this podcast.